0: Friends, it's my pleasure to introduce our preacher today. Uh, his name is Mark Sheets. He and I first met in 2007. We were both youth directors in the St. Louis area, and since then, we've, we've both gotten ordained, and ministry has had our paths crossed a few times. Mark and I uh, became uh, great friends, and then from 2015 to 2019, I actually worked for him when he was senior pastor at Good Shepherd United Methodist off of 152 and now Mark works for the man he uh, works for the conference office of the Missouri United Methodist Church in Columbia as the director of Congregational Excellence so for uh, thinking about people who aren't here yet and thinking about evangelism for starting new churches for helping revitalize churches that's all part of Mark's job and I couldn't think of a better person uh, to be doing that to be in partnership with all our churches around the state Mark is one of the smartest people I know. He's one of the most gracious people I know. And he's one of the funniest people I've ever met. And I think you'll, you'll get a whiff of that pretty soon uh, as he begins. Uh, so we've been looking forward to this a long time. And it's my great, great pleasure to welcome up my man, Mark Sheets!
1: Morning, friends. Well, if you ever wanted to make a bag of chips seem like sushi, call your buddy Adam Musto and he can make anybody look good. I appreciate it. It's uh, so great to be with you here today. You guys have something amazing going. There were baptisms earlier. You got 17 third graders looking at scripture. Your praise band is terrific. Jeremy sang at 8 o'clock all by himself. I would tell you how good your choir is, but then you'd accuse me of preaching to the choir. Uh, the jokes don't get any better than that, by the way. Um, the choir is amazing. Uh, it, it, it's, there's this palpable feeling that the Spirit is alive here, and it's fun to be a part of. So thank you for having me here today. Um, I want to ask you a question that I heard at a sermon when I was in college at a local church, and it's haunted me ever since. Does your reputation equal your testimony? Yeah, yikes is right. Uh, For 25 years, I've been thinking about that. I think it's a question we'll wrestle with our entire lives. Let me make sure that we're all on the same page. Uh, Just a couple of working definitions. When I say reputation, what I'm talking about is what other people believe about you. What is your reputation? In terms of testimony, it's what do you say about what you believe, and do those two set of beliefs match? What others believe about you and what you say you believe. Does your reputation equal your testimony? When I was in high school, one of the worst days of every semester was the very first day of the semester in the lunchroom. Okay, so there was this guy named Robert, and he was in my orbit. He wasn't my best friend. We were kind of like acquaintances, but we were in marching band together. We were in uh, Boy Scouts together, that kind of stuff. Uh, so I knew of him, and he knew of me. I was a little bit older than he was. But the first day of, of lunch of the semester, I don't know what your high school was like. It's like people would get their food, and after they got their tray or their lunch bag they'd brought from home, they'd come to the beginning of the cafeteria. They'd stand there in freeze, and it would be like this scanning of the tables. Who do I know? Who knows me? Who will have me? It's like the Forrest Gump scene on the bus, right, where, where like, seats are, like, taken and people throwing coats over them and all that kind of stuff. Well, I had gotten to lunch early that semester, and I had saved a table, and a couple of my friends were already sitting down, and we had an open chair. And I see Robert, and, and he gets his tray of food, and he turns around and stands there for an uncomfortable amount of time. Over here, Robert, come on and have a seat. And I thought, at least a landing spot for today. Maybe he'll find a spot tomorrow, whatever. Maybe he'll stay for a while. And i got to tell you, in high school, I was different than I am today. Is that true for anybody else out there? For some reason in high school, I thought it would be a good idea to let everybody know that I was a Christian by the way that I looked before I said anything. So I wore a 1990s, more like granola tree hugger version of a flavor flave, necklace it was huge it was leather it had a huge chunk of wood in the middle like mid torso with beads and all that. it was not cool at all I wanted people to know I was a Christian I was in fellowship of Christian athletes and I was in youth group in my local church and all that and I was proud to carry this cross around wanted everybody to know. So Robert's sitting with us, and days turn into weeks, and finally it's like six weeks down the road from the first day of the semester, and Robert goes to get his tray of food, and it's ravioli day. Like, Chef Boyardee ravioli pasta day. And for 75 cents, you could get a double portion, right? This was back when the only thing that uh, inflation meant was what you did to a balloon. It was cheap and everybody got a lot. And He's got a ton of ravioli on his tray and he starts walking towards our table and his right foot clicks over his left foot and he trips and falls and ravioli goes flying in the air everywhere and his tray clatters to the ground and he falls over and it rains ravioli down on top of him in his hair, sliding down his cheek, on his clothes and it was hilarious. <laughs> we laughed and laughed and laughed and kept laughing. I almost fell out of my chair. And he looks up at me and he says, I thought you were supposed to be different. And it was this arresting phrase that just stopped me in my tracks. Does your reputation equal your testimony? You ever had a moment like that? Oh, it's the worst. Wasn't the last time that I felt that way. Just the most prominent, the easiest to share publicly Does your reputation equal your testimony? What I want to do today is I want to talk you through my favorite book of the Bible. So if you want to follow along, because we're going to throw a lot of verses up on the screen. You can follow along on the screen. But there are Bibles in the seats uh, right around you. And you can turn to 1858 in those Bibles. Or you can grab uh, 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 your phone if you have an app on your phone. We're going to look at the book of Philemon. It's in the New Testament between Titus and Hebrews. And here's the thing um, about Philemon. Philemon is a book that has to do with three people. It's Paul's letter that he wrote. So Paul is one of them. You remember the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. Philemon is the person that the letter is written to. He's a local house church leader. And the third guy is a guy named Onesimus. Now, Scripture will call him a slave. What scholars say about that is not the American history version of slave that you and I might think of or that might come to mind, it was a person who was indebted to somebody else. He owed him something. So think of like a mortgage or a car payment or something like that. And you would work for the person until you paid it off, okay? So that's the role that Onesimus plays. But in the story, he has run away from Philemon and his debt and found Paul. So three people, a little triangulation, and I want you to overlay the idea of reputation and testimony for these three characters and also for yourself as we go. Are you ready? Everybody ready to have some fun? Okay, yeah. verse 1, 2 and 3. <laughs> Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm reading from a different translation, so you're going to see some different words up there or whatever you're reading in. Take all those together and make some meaning out of them. It's fun. There's a lot of clues in what's going on. To the church that meets in your house is the clue that we get that Philemon is a preacher. He's a house church leader. Now, this isn't a sanctuary like this here at Kearney with 150 or 200 folks. This is like your family living room with 15 to 20 people. Maybe on Christmas Eve when they get the candles out, they've got like 37. Not many people know about Philemon. How many of you have ever heard the name Philemon before walking in here today? One, two, and a half. Okay. He's not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. It wasn't bumping, but he was faithful. Right? Paul says this about himself in the opening phrase, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, which means he was so good at evangelism So good at sharing the word of God, he had become a threat to Rome. And in first century Mediterranean culture, nobody's a threat to Rome, and he's put under house arrest, lock and key. So when Paul says to Philemon, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus, he's reminding him of how good his evangelism is. Because everybody knew who Paul was. It's like LeBron James saying, LeBron James, a basketball player for the National Basketball Association. Right? He would have known who Paul was. So by Paul saying a prisoner of Christ Jesus, he's kind of subtly saying, my evangelism has got me in trouble. That's how good I am. And it's a reminder for you and I to kind of ask ourselves, when was the last time that doing something for the kingdom of God got us in trouble with somebody else? Ugh. Well, not recently for me. I played a little bit too safe, too close to the vest. I don't know about you. But Paul's a prisoner, writing to Philemon, and he says that the letter is also to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church that meets in your house. Which means, it's like a letter that I send to Adam, Sarah, comma, and the family. And when Adam gets it from the mailbox, or maybe Aaron gets it from the mailbox, he says, ooh, I'm a part of the family, and tears that sucker open. This letter is not secret. Aphia could have seen it. Archippus could have seen it. Anybody in the church house could have seen it. These uh, verses are public knowledge. Whatever Paul's about to say, the whole world's about to know. So what's Paul going to say? Verse 4 to 7. When I remember you in my prayers, I always thank my God because I hear of your love for all the saints and your faith towards the Lord Jesus. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective when you perceive all the good that we may do for Christ. I have indeed received much joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, my brother. Now, if Philemon was the only one to receive the letter, if he had not yet called for Aphia or Archippus or anybody else in the house, he was now. What are you guys doing? Put down the video games. Come out from the bathroom. Paul wrote to us. Paul Wrote to us, our little nowhere backwoods house church is on the map. Baby, we made it. And uh, I think while we're at it, we ought to take a look at the verbs he uses. Paul remembers me. Paul is praying for me. Paul has been refreshed through me. Paul even said the pronoun, all the good that we may do for the kingdom together. I didn't think anybody knew what was going on here, but clearly they do. So I might have to make some travel plans if Paul gets out of prison because it sounds like we're going on the circuit together. Let's keep going. Verse 8. Paul says, For this reason, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do your duty, yet I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love. And I, Paul, do this as an old man and also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. What a tone change. You're the best. I love you. I could tell you what you have to do. But I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love, man. Now, I'm old. I'm so effective, I'm a prisoner. So, listen up. Now, if somebody above you in the org chart says, I could command you to do your duty, like, do your job, but I want to appeal to you on the basis of love, whatever's about to come down the road is probably going to be pretty serious. So let's like strap in our seatbelts for 11 through 16 because this is like otherworldly. Actually, we'll start in 10. I am appealing to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I've become during my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful both to you and me. I am sending him, that is, my own heart back to you. I wanted to keep him with me so that he might be of service to me in your place during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your good deed might be voluntary and not something forced. Perhaps this is the reason he was separated from you for a while so that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you both in the flesh and in the Lord. Wow. This is the point where if I was Philemon, I would say to Archippus and Aphia and anybody else that's in the church that day, uh, you guys can go ahead, go go back to what you were doing. There's some Greek in here I'm going to have to translate. It's going to take a while. Because what he's asking is significant and not easily done. And he's not really asking, but he is asking. But the words that he uses to ask are very interesting. I'm appealing to you for Onesimus. Now, My Bible has a little subscript that says the name Onesimus means useful. And Philemon would have just... This is a debitor, This is a person that owes him money. That's all he is. And he would have been referred to as a slave or a servant, a lesser than, somebody who didn't get a vote. Paul says, prior to my letter, he was useless to you. Just money to be collected. But you know, I'm sending useful... Back to you. In fact, in your place, he has done some great ministry for me here. Philemon might think, in my place? I'm leading a house church, buddy. What do you think I'm doing around here? In my place, meaning that you're upset that I didn't leave my people and come find you in in incarceration and do work on your behalf? Paul says, I would have actually preferred to keep him here. He's a great leadoff batter, gets on base all the time. But I don't want to do anything without your consent. Wait, wait, hold on a second. The dude owes me money. If he's a great Christian, tell him to pay up. Tell him to pay his debt. You don't want to do anything without my consent? Now you want me to accept him back? Not as a slave, not as somebody who owes money. You want me to forgive him the debt, and you want me to accept him back as a brother. You're telling me that you're sending him, comma, that is, your very own heart? You're comparing him to you? He's a runaway. You're an apostle. Paul, this is a borderline delusional. And you just want me to wipe the debt away. We love money, don't we? You know, Jesus preached more about money than love. Almost 40% of the parables are about money. It's just money, Philemon. He went to somebody, they wrote a letter, they're asking for you to forgive the debt. Just do it. That's hard for us to do, isn't it? To just do it. How, how would you like to have your mortgage forgiven? Wouldn't that be nice? If you were the bank, would you forgive you your mortgage? It'd be out of business. Philemon's like, wait, 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 you're telling me the road map is anybody here that owes me money just scurries down Damascus Road, finds you in incarceration, gets a get-out-of-jail-free card, and I just need to play ball? Is that how this works? The, the language that he uses, perhaps this is the reason he was separated from you for a while. Now we're talking about God's providence or will. You're telling me that God specifically put into Onesimus' head, run away and find Paul, So that we could have this little forgiveness conversation. I don't know about you, but sometimes people talk about God's will and it drives me nuts. Because I think they're making stuff up. They're saying things like, you know, I think it was God's will, insert whatever they want. You ever had that happen? It was God's will that that there was a parking spot right by the front door. It was God's will that it would snow today, so I would be reminded of the, like, really? Really? Like, I, I can't say what is and what isn't God's will. All I do know is this. When, when that, that feels heavy-handed, doesn't it? Doesn't it feel heavy-handed for Paul to say, maybe this is God's work that he ran away? But I want you to accept him back as a beloved brother, Right? As a beloved brother, now that's the case for me, but how much more for you, Philemon, and your long standing friendship with Onesimus? Verse 17 If you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. I say nothing about you owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, let me have this benefit from you and the Lord, refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I know you're going to do even more than I say. Wow! He's like heaping on. And now he plays the Jesus card. I sin and I sin and I sin, and Christ goes to the cross and my sin is forgiven. I sin and I sin and I sin, communion or baptism or forgiveness of sins or prayer, and it's wiped away. Paul is saying, you've done that, right, Philemon? You've talked about the forgiveness that Christ gives. This is like that. I want to forgive him. If if he owes you something, what do you mean if he owes me something? If he didn't owe me anything, why would you be writing the letter? You and I both know he owes me something. If he owes you anything, you, you can collect it from me. really. I'm going like to go through security and dump my wallet, cell phone, and keys through the metal detector so I can come into prison to collect a debt. That, does, that doesn't make any sense. And, and then he says, I say nothing about you owing me even your own self. Yes, you did. You just did. <laughs> it, I have a friend who has a phrase, but I'm not the kind of guy that tells jokes like that. It's the phrase he uses after he tells me the joke. Scholars believe that this phrase from Paul most likely means that through his earlier evangelism that Philemon came to faith. And Paul is saying, you were a non-believer before I came through. And through the grace of Jesus Christ, through the ministry that I was a part of, you got your life back. You're telling me after getting your life back and beginning to lead a church that you're going to tell this guy he doesn't get a second chance? Now, if you have to make the books right, then send somebody with collections to me and I'll pay for it. But then I'm gonna have to come to you and ask you to pay me what you owe me. <laughs> it's, just, it's really good, isn't it? And then says, by the way, I know you're gonna do even more than what I'm asking for. What's even more than that? Do I need to pay Onesimus money for his debt to be forgiven? Then he says this in verse 22. One thing more, prepare a guest room for me. I'm hoping through your prayers to be restored to you. That's like mom saying, I'm going to the grocery store to get groceries. That room better be clean by the time I get back. (laughs) 23 and 24. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. By the way, Philemon, I got the ministerial alliance together. And Epaphras and Mark and Demas and Luke... And Aristarchus and whoever else. I told them all about it. They want me to keep them posted on what you decide. This is like a master class in first century manipulation. I mean persuasion. <laughs> and, and Paul is trying to force. I mean compel. I mean get out of the good graces of Philemon. A decision for forgiveness. And you look at this, and it's like it's 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 like Paul is saying, everybody gather around. I love Philemon, you owe me, everybody says hello. And then the story ends. That's it. But for me, the story of you overlaid the ideas of reputation and testimony on this scripture. That, for me, is when the Scripture really comes alive. I mean, I had to make a chart just to sort it through in my brain. Think about this for a second. If you're Onesimus, your reputation is that you're a runaway. And and with a a reputation like a runaway, who is possibly going to listen to your testimony? Think about the woman at the well in John 4, right? She had five husbands, and the man she was with now was not her husband when she meets Jesus at the well. Well, by the end, when her life is transformed, she goes into the city and says, come and see a man who's told me everything I've ever done. Do you think the husbands were a secret to anybody in that town? They all knew. The only thing that was amazing was that she owned her past reputation instead of it owning her. Philemon's a runaway. They're not going to listen to anything he has to say, so he has no testimony. Paul's different. Paul has a reputation... As somebody who has rebuilt his reputation into the leading apostle at the time. He wrote like two-thirds of the New Testament. But that's not how it started, was it? Remember Acts 9, the artist formerly known as Saul, who was the chief persecutor of the early church and killed Christians? And then God got a hold of his heart and through transformation turned him into Paul, who then became the chief apostle, bringing people to Christ. He rebuilt his reputation brick by brick and day by day. And now he has the reputation of the leading voice of the early church. And his testimony is that God gives everyone second chances. And Philemon is just a house church leader. That's the only reputation he's got. Plain, simple, easygoing, nice, ordinary, common fella. And every week he's preaching... I follow Christ, you ought to follow Christ too. But there's a need that arises from the kingdom with every one of these reputations and testimonies. If you look at it from Onesimus' perspective, he has a need to receive grace. Nothing is going to change until somebody offers him something he doesn't deserve. Ever been there? Ever been in a place where your life wasn't going to change unless somebody gave you the benefit of the doubt, took your word for it, gave you grace, forgived you when you didn't deserve it. And I've been in that position more times than I can count. And that is the need that you have when you're in Onesimus' shoes. Unless I get some grace or forgiveness, nothing's gonna change. There's a need from Paul to offer a second chance, to offer undeserved grace. You have this reputation for a reason. You have to use it for Onesimus' benefit. Who in the world is gonna argue against Paul? They may grumble, there may be anger or frustration. Philemon might have torn this letter in two or burned it. But we still kind of think we know what he's going to do, don't we? But friends, this kingdom need from Philemon is the problem that occurs to me the most often. If I say something about myself, if I fancy myself a certain way, am I willing to walk the talk? Am I willing to offer forgiveness? Right? And that's, that's, that's the question, that's, that's, that's the thing being asked of, of Philemon, to forgive a debt. It's not easy. And each one of these characters then has a question for the kingdom that leads to something greater beyond themselves. You look at Onesimus and you see his plight, you see his lack of testimony, the undeserved grace that he needs, and you ask him the same simple question that I want to ask you that God asks us all the time. If I gave you a second chance, what would you do with it? If you come to Carney, and your sins are forgiven and praise is given to God and you experience the word of God and you are renewed and freshed and your slate is clean, what would you do when you left the doors? Would anything be any different? Or do we take for granted second chances? If God gave you a second chance, what would you do with it? Or maybe you're in the shoes of Paul. The the kingdom question that's being asked of Paul is very simple. Who is your reputation for? Are you building up this great reputation so that everybody will know how awesome you are and name things after you and you die and take your reputation to heaven? No, the kingdom loses in that scenario. Our reputation, whatever it may be and however healthy or inspiring it may be, is only as useful as the leverage we use it for for the kingdom of God the second chance means the most coming from Paul because of his story and who he became and what he sees in Onesimus that if Paul believes that about Onesimus, then I can too. We can't can't waste a reputation that we've been given. We have to leverage it. But for Philemon, the question is really simple. When you pray the Lord's Prayer and you say, forgive me my trespasses, forgive me my sins, forgive me my debts, do you pray the words as we and cross your fingers? It's conditional. Forgive me my debts as I forgive people who have debts against me. Forgive me my trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I love the first one, not very good at the second. I live for forgiveness, friends. I love it. I pray and receive it. I have communion and feel it. I watch baptisms happen and I experience it. It is my favorite part about God. You cannot outsin his grace. Judas got communion before the betrayal. You can't out-sin God's grace. It's the best part of the story. But does it really transform if we don't offer the same thing to somebody else who doesn't deserve it? That's the problem. That's the thing about Philemon that makes this such a haunting scripture. Does your reputation equal your testimony? I believe we will wrestle with that question our entire life. Paul is proof that our reputation can be rebuilt. Onesimus is proof that we will always have people with us who deserve a second chance, who need it if anything in their life is going to change. Philemon is proof that it's not easy. So, what happens? We don't ever hear about Philemon again. Paul writes a bazillion other letters to a bazillion other places. There is, however, one mention of Onesimus in Scripture. I believe it's in the book of Acts, and there's a reference to a bishop, Onesimus. Scholars are divided on if it's the historical Onesimus from Philemon or not. And so we're kind of left to fill in the narrative ourselves. Is it this Onesimus that got a second chance and for the kingdom of God used it to help others find their way into the love of Christ? And for me, it all comes down to what I believe about God's reputation and the kind of God I believe that God is. I hope that we would hear the story today and whether today you align with Paul or Onesimus or Philemon, we probably in our lives are each of them at some point, but whoever you're aligning with today, whoever feels your story today, my prayer is that God would give you and I the strength and the courage to mimic and emulate the example of his reputation for the world around that's watching. Will you pray with me? God, we give you thanks for your love for us that never gives up. That through baptism and communion we find is present before we're even aware of it. That forgives us sins that others deem unforgivable. And then spurs us on to become a better version of ourselves than we are today. God, we pray that you would allow for our reputation to be rebuilt brick by brick every day. That we would not be afraid to give testimony to your grace and your love and your forgiveness and that ultimately our reputation and testimony would be equal so that more folks would find out about your love for them. In whose name we pray, amen.